All right, everybody, welcome to New Life. Glad to have you guys here. Who's excited to be at church today? I love that. I love that. Yeah, man, come on. I mean, this is the best place to be at the best time of the week, right? I don't know how you think about Sunday, though, but I definitely want to give you a bonus something this morning, okay? Um, if you think Sunday's the end of the week, I want to I start transforming the way you think. And I want you to start thinking that Sunday is the beginning of the week. And that the first thing you're doing at the beginning of the week is you're giving God the first fruit. That means you're giving God the first minutes. You're giving God the first hours. When you come and you worship him on a Sunday, you're kicking the week off with putting Christ first. I just want you to think of it, you know, in that, maybe in that kind of capacity, okay? Um, is that good? Is that good? All right. Okay, good. Now, look, if we had worship service on Friday, I would tell you the same thing, okay? I would say, hey, I want you to think about Friday being the first day of the week, <laughs> right? It's just that I want, I want you to, like, let's, let's, make, let's put Christ first in all that we do, Amen. All right, well, hey, look, I've been gone for a couple weeks on vacation. It was a blast. It was a blast, man. Went up to Alaska and up to Canada. We had a great time. Pastor Chris, though, and Pastor Nate brought the word uh, for the two weeks uh, that I was gone. I just want to say, I think those guys did an incredible job. Uh, can you give it up for them? Come on. Yeah. We, we have an amazing staff. Now, we strategically did something unique, though, with uh, Pastor Nate. All right, we had, we had Nate and his dog. Who was here for, like, the, the, the sermon titled, Me and My Dog? Yeah, that was good. That was good. Did you also think, like I did, like that dog was more obedient than, dare I say, some children? <laughs> or some of you? Okay, because that, that's, that's what I was thinking. So I was watching this thing on my, com my com you know, computer screen. But here's the reason why it was strategic. Uh, one of the things that you may not have taken away from that sermon was what we were really trying to say to you. And, and that is this, that we want you to find Christ-centered biblical principles, spiritual truths in the middle of your passions and your occupation. And that's the reason why we're doing this new series called Flight. Flight is a passion of mine, okay? I, I do actually have a pilot's license and I really do like to fly. In fact, I like to fly this airplane a lot, okay? So I fly this airplane a lot. My wife and I, we were just up in Canada, like I said, and so we went up in this aircraft, uh, this uh, float plane. If you've never been on a float plane, uh, that's an amazing experience. But what we wanna do, like big time, with this teaching series is we want you to walk away and start looking at your passions and your occupation, and we want you to start praying and digging through God's word and finding biblical and spiritual truths that can correlate to what you do. Because everything you do and all your passions, um, those things were created by God. And so there are biblical and spiritual principles. And what will happen if you find those and you connect them to what you do, like we're going to connect my flying passions and some of the principles of that to a spiritual life, is that Monday morning when you walk into work, you'll walk into work with more joy, more enthusiasm, and you'll walk into work with more peace in your heart than you ever have before. Because you'll start to have a joy of the Lord in it because you'll see the godly, Christ-centered, biblical, spiritual principles in what you do. And you'll find that there's an act of worship in that as well. And many people, they live their entire lives, you know, compartmentalizing work and their spiritual life. And when we do that, we're stealing the joy right out of what we do most of the week. Most of the week is your passions and your occupation. 
And when you connect those to godly Christ-centered principles like I'm going to do for flying for you and what Nate did with his dog training for you, when you do that for your personal life, your, your relationship with God's going to come more alive than it ever has before, and you're going to find more joy on Monday morning than you ever have before. So, yes, flight is a passion of mine. The Wright brothers, it was a passion of theirs. You know, they created the first airplane and they flew. And that, that same thing was happening in Europe almost at the exact same time. And man took flight. And ever since man took flight, there's been this, you know, endeavor to have man and machine overcome the principles of flight. But way before that, the Bible talked about flight. I mean, I want you to think with me just for a second, okay? Um, I'm going to tell you some of the things in God's word that talk about flying. I want you, before I ever do that, I want you to think, is there anything you know about God's word that talks about flying? All right? Don't yell it out. Just think of it. If I, if I get it or I say it, then just kind of put a little check mark and be like, wow, that was good. So how about angels? All right? So Ezekiel, um, Ezekiel chapter 1, he gets this vision of heaven and the spiritual realm, and he gets this vision of these angels with four wings. And it says this wheel with a wheel inside of it that kind of moves underneath them. And wherever the angels go, it's like they're always flying forward. There was no backward or sideways. It's like everywhere they went was forward and it was fast. In fact, Ezekiel even tells us the sound that these angels as they flew, you know, the sound that they made. And it said it was a sound of like an army, you know, cheering or a loud army on a battlefield going, Rah! there's something else that sounds like, Rah! that I love, and that's a jet engine, all right? So I understand his passion, all right, when he's writing this, and he's even talking about what it sounds like. I, I, I got it, right? I'm with him. So these angels that had four wings, the prophet Isaiah and the book of Revelation, they both talk about angels that had six wings, six wings that sit around the throne of God, and all day long, all day long, their job is to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Isn't that awesome? Like, give me six wings, I'll do that right now. But I don't really kind of understand, like, why some have six and why some have four, maybe some have two. I don't know. You'll have to ask God that in heaven. I just know this. Like, if I'm going to have wings, uh, give, give me six, right? That's just more horsepower, wing power, and uh, we're going to fly faster, and that's kind of one of my addictions. So, the, the, uh, so Elijah, you guys remember Elijah, prophet Elijah? Elijah followed by Elisha. Elijah, he was taken up to heaven. Does anybody remember what he was taken up into heaven in? A chariot of fire. Come on, how cool would that be to be the pilot of the chariot of fire? Dun, 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 As he moves out to the chariot of fire. I mean, come on, he like strikes it up. Like, God, if you need another pilot for a chariot, like, I'm there. I'm helping you, right? I want to be a part of that. Like, that's like super cool. But I guarantee you, some of you thought about this one. Jesus ascending into heaven, like flying into heaven. Who thought of that one? What, like two people? Okay, all right. We're going to have a lot of problem, I guess, with this series. Number one, no one's interested in flight. Okay, that, that's cool because we're not going to be talking about planes and, air, and flight the whole time. We're going to be talking about your spiritual life. We're just going to use it as the analogy to get us there. But yeah, Jesus, like right before the eyes of his disciples, he starts to ascend into heaven. And in fact, as he's ascending into heaven, the disciples are there. They're watching him. They're like squinting, trying to see Jesus, this little dot as he's drifting away. When the angels come and they go, what are you doing? Well, we're watching Jesus. He's right there. Or we thought, oh, man, now he won't be on a cloud. 
right? And they're like, what are you guys doing? Like, he's going to come back the same way that he, he departed. And so they went on about their business. But check this out. How many guys actually like the fly? Anybody here like the fly? How many guys, is anybody like, just don't want to fly at all? There's always people like that. Okay, that's good. That's good. Here's the truth. All of you are going to take a flight in your life. All of us, from a biblical perspective, are going to fly. It says, one day, one day, when Jesus comes back, here's what 1 Thessalonians says about it. It says that we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up, will fly up into the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we'll be with the Lord forever. So if you want to be with the Lord forever, you're going to have to take one amazing flight. That's good news, by the way, all right? That's a flight that's guaranteed not to crash. You're not gonna crash on that flight. If Jesus is calling us to come and he's catching us up and we're gonna meet him in the air, uh, look, that's not a flight that's gonna crash. You're gonna be with him. So all of us are gonna fly at some point. So I just have a passion for flying. Um, it started, I think, really because my dad was a pilot. Um, he was a, a private pilot. It's not what he did for an occupation. Um, in fact, I, there's even pictures of me flying with him, like in the back of a, you know, a Cessna 172 or a 182, and um, even watching his logbook. Uh, you can flip through the logbook, and you can see the flights that I flew on him with. In fact, one of those flights was to Omaha from St. Louis. So I was in Nebraska, like as a little kid. I don't even remember it. Nebraska as a little kid before I ever moved here to be a pastor. I just think that's kind of cool, right? Um, but th another reason why I'm passionate about flying is my grandfather was a pilot as well. And um, he actually owned a couple of different planes in Kansas. And he, and he flew, and it was, it's really cool. And when I was home for Thanksgiving, one of the things that my dad gave me was his flight, his flight bag. And he goes, son, I, I really have no need for this anymore. Um, here's my license as well. Uh, I haven't used it for you know, a long time. I, I just want you to have it if it means anything to you. I go, yeah, dad, it means everything to me, man. It's really important. And I opened up the, the, flight, the flight bag and I pulled out his logbook and flipped through it. And then there was another book and I, I pulled out that book. And it was my grandfather's logbook as well. So I had my grandfather's logbook of all the flights he took, my father's and then mine. And hopefully we'll pass them on to some, some next generation that has a, has a real passion, you know, for flying. So I just kind of like always had this love for flying and it, it's just one of those things. And today I just want to help you take some of the passions and principles the principles of flight and the principles of piloting, and I want to connect them to your spiritual life. But don't forget this, please. Don't, don't overlook the fact that what I'm really trying to do is model for you how you can take your occupation and your passions and you can connect them to spiritual truths that will fuel you. I have a group of pilots here at our church that I gave them an assignment to start looking um, at flight and pilotage and connect it to spiritual things. And one of the things they told me was, they were so thankful that I gave them that assignment. Um, they go, I, I've never really taken time to consider how many things about piloting connect to biblical spiritual truth. I'll never get in the cockpit the same again. And you know, I can honestly say, I don't get in the cockpit the same either. Uh, I climb in and you know, there's many times there's thoughts that go through my mind about what I'm getting ready to do and how that connects to God's word. And that's just a great encouragement. And I want that same encouragement for you, no matter what you're interested in and what you do. So let's begin today by looking at some basics, okay? The first thing is this, we're like a plane on the ground and we gotta learn the dynamics of what, what flight really is and how, how we actually fly and what actually causes an airplane to fly. So today I wanna to talk to you really quickly about the four forces of flight. The first force 
of flight is this. It's called lift. Lift primarily comes from the wings of an aircraft. So when you look at these big, massive aircraft, you're like, how in the world does that thing get off the ground? It has to weigh, you know, tons. Yes, it does. But it's the lift that comes from the wings. And it's the, the length of the wing, the design of the wing, and the way that air flows over the wing. Air flows faster over the top, slower over the bottom, creating a pressure that allows the aircraft to lift off the ground. But there is a force fighting against lift. And that force we call weight. Weight is used, you know, uh, as, a, as a purposeful word. Gravity is the first source of weight. Obviously, Newton, you know, he, he helped us understand that, Newton's laws, that everything's being pulled to the center of the earth. Just an, it's like an airplane's being pulled to the center of the earth, whether it's 1,000 feet off the ground, 100 feet off the ground, or 30,000 feet off the ground. Gravity is pulling on it. But there are other things that go into the force of weight. The weight of the fuselage, which would include the engine, the weight of the fuel, the weight of the passengers, the weight of the cargo, all of that adds up to weight, okay? So lift and weight are opposing factors against each other. Here's the other two factors that are opposing each other. The first one is thrust. Thrust comes from the engine, whether that's a propeller or a jet engine or a rocket engine, and it's what pushes the aircraft forward, or in a rocket's case, what pushes it straight up. So thrust comes from the propulsion uh, you know, component of the aircraft. The engine is where thrust comes from. And what's opposed to thrust? Drag is opposed to thrust. Some of these things you learned in school, because in, in most schools, there's a segment of time where you'll talk about like, how, how does something actually fly. So drag, like what, what was drag? Drag is the friction that happens when the fuselage is trying to go through the air, trying to push itself through this air mass, and there's a friction on it. Um, and so everything on the aircraft is trying to be designed so that it's more aerodynamic, causing less drag so that thrust can overcome it. So you got these four forces at work. Now, a lot of instructors, they could talk for 30 more minutes on the four forces of flight and put us all to sleep. All right? And when you read books about it, you can easily go to sleep when you're reading about the four forces of flight. So that's not what we want to do today. But I just want to boil it down to one critical question. How does the plane get off the ground? When it comes to the four forces, a plane gets off the ground when thrust overtakes drag, right? And when lift overtakes weight. When you have more lift than weight, great. When you have more thrust than drag, perfect, now that plane is going to fly. So those are the four forces of flight. Now, how do those four forces, you know, apply to your spiritual life? How do they? And maybe, maybe the question you might be asking right now is, do they? And I want to say to you, yes, they do. But how do they? And let's break that down really quick, and then we've got an incredible scripture that we want to look at, and we want to show these four forces at work in your, in your personal life. So thrust. Thrust comes from a spirit-led life. A spirit-led life is one that is, you know, intuitively trying to listen to the voice of God. When God says, don't go there, they go, okay, man, good, I'm not going to go there. When God says, don't do that, okay, man, I'm not going to do that. When there's a conviction in our lives of what we're doing um, and we know that we're breaking God's law, it's a recognizing that and a correcting the course. A spirit-led life is one that overcomes the obstacle of, you know, most people, which is to live a soulish-led life, right? It's, it's to overcome that. It's to realize that 
in and of myself, I'm going to cause a lot of danger to myself. I'm going to get myself in a lot of trouble. In and of myself, I'm doomed for destruction. So what do I need to do? I need a spirit, the spirit, the Holy Spirit of the living God to lead me and to guide me and to lead me into all truth. Now that, that is a power. The power of the Holy Spirit is thrust in our lives. All of us need it. And let me just give you a few examples of how all of us need it. Mary, the mother of Jesus, she needed thrust, the power of the Holy Spirit in her life to accomplish the mission God gave her. Here's what Luke chapter 1 even says about it. When the angel was there, the angel replied to Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the what? The power or the thrust okay, of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you so the baby will be born to be holy and he'll be called the Son of God. There's only one way for the baby to be called the Son of God, only one way for Jesus to become holy, and that was through the power of the thrust of the Holy Spirit. Mary needed it, but Jesus needed it as well. Look at what Luke chapter 4 says. This is right after Jesus is baptized in water. He goes into the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's tempted. He comes out of the desert. This is the next verse. Jesus returned to Galilee in the what? In the power of the Spirit, the thrust of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. Here's a little fact for you. You'll never find a miracle of Jesus, the miraculous, the supernatural um, being displayed through Jesus until this moment happens. It's after this moment where the power of the Holy Spirit, the thrust of the Holy Spirit in him, working through him, that all of a sudden miracles start taking place. It's one of the reasons why when Jesus says to us, you can do the same things I've done in greater things, he wasn't lying. Because he wasn't saying that because he's the son of God. He was saying that because the power or the thrust of the Holy Spirit was working through him, allowing him to be supernatural and to do the things that, that the Father had appointed him to do. So Jesus needed the power of the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus said to his disciples, you need it as well. Luke chapter 24, Jesus said, and now I, I will send the Holy Spirit just as my father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. The power of the Holy Spirit, the disciples were going to need it. Jesus was getting ready to ascend into heaven, fly into heaven. And uh, the disciples were going to pick up the mission. They were going to need the very same thrust, the very same engine that Jesus had, they were going to need. And so they waited in the upper room and they received the power of the Holy Spirit. But you and me, we still need the thrust, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. And here's where we get that. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 is one place. It says, but you will receive power... Okay? When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and then what? To the ends of the earth. Like the mission of the good news of the gospel is still being preached today. Here's the encouraging news. Today, while preaching here at New Life, and at our Kearney campus and North Platte campus and online, somebody today is going to commit their life to Christ. That's just what we've seen at New Life. Sunday after Sunday, people are committing their lives to Christ and they're making Jesus the Lord and the leader of their life. A Sunday that goes by where somebody doesn't commit their life to Christ in a way where they fill out a card and they turn it in and they say, look, I'm giving up my anonymity and I want you to pray with me. I want you to help me. Please call me this week and you know, be a part of my life. 
be a part of my journey is a rare Sunday at New Life. That's a rare Sunday, and I praise God for that. I'm not, yeah, right, we praise God for that. That's not, we're not boasting about that. We're just saying that that's happening. Why, though? There's a reliance on the power, the thrust of the Holy Spirit to be a witness. If you want to be a witness for Christ, you're going to need the engine of the Holy Spirit propelling you forward to do the impossible, to do the miraculous, to do the supernatural. I mean, think of it just the opposite. Think about you, you go out to the airport and you're like, planes fly, I can fly. Watch this. And you go running down the runway, stick your arms out, and you're like, here I go. Like, what's going to happen? We're all going to mock you. That's what's going to happen. You're going to be on YouTube like in five seconds. Bam, like that. Like, look, look, look at this guy. He's crazy. Out of his mind. Watch what happens next. You jump and land flat on your face. Like, a lot of concrete burns going to happen right there. So not only is it going to be physically damaging to you, it's going to be emotionally, socially damaging when it goes viral. So that's not something that we want to do. In our, in our Christian life, if you can call it that for a second, if, to, be, to say, like, I'm going to be a Christian, like, I'm going to run down the runway and I'm going to do all this myself is ludicrous. You can't do it. You weren't designed to do it. You, you weren't given the tools, the ability to be a Christian on your own. We all need the Holy Spirit to be the thrust and the engine in our lives to empower us to live a life for Christ. That's why thrust requires fuel. That's why it's not just a salvation moment where you pray and you go, okay, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord and leader. And inside of you, if you can see it this way, the Holy Spirit comes, like an engine comes in, and you fire up the engine and off you go forever because we all know there's not a single engine that's made on this earth that runs forever. All of them need one important factor, don't they? They all need fuel. How do you fuel the Spirit-fed, the Spirit-led life? By being obedient to the Holy Spirit. Obedience to the Holy Spirit keeps fueling your life. It keeps giving you the joy, keeps changing your mentality, it keeps causing you to go, man, I love this, I love God, I want to I work, I want to honor him more, I want to serve him more, I, I want to be obedient to him more. It, it's that fuel that just causes you to go, I just want to keep following God. Spirit-led life is like the fuel to the engine of the Holy Spirit in your life. We'll talk about that more. The second factor, though, the spiritual point would be drag. And how does drag fit into our spiritual life? Well, drag is produced, produced from a soul or a self-led life. So if thrust was produced by a spirit-led life, then the opposing factor of that would be a soul or a self-led life, which means this, right? It means a soul-led life is one that is led by my mind, my will, and my emotions, by my thoughts, by what I want to do, and by how I feel about it. And when you're honest with yourself, how many of us live Monday, Tuesday, th Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday like that? A lot of us. It's one of the demoralizing and crippling factors of Christianity today is not that we don't believe that there is a Jesus or that there is a God. It's that the rest of the week and many Sundays as well, we live based on what we think, what we'd want to do, and how we feel about it instead of the spirit-led spirit life. And that creates a lot of drag on us, guys. It creates a lot of drag. It, it inflates us. It makes us the most important factor of the whole thing instead of Christ, which streamlines you 
It makes you more effective for the thrust of the Holy Spirit. Drag inflates you. It's like pride. Eventually, you become so self-absorbed that pride overtakes you. And when that happens, as that happens, here's what Proverbs has to say about it. It says, a man's pride brings him where? It's like a man's pride grounds you. You can't fly. You cannot soar for Christ when drag keeps increasing, when pride keeps increasing in our lives. The second thing that keeps you from like really flying and soaring for God is the weight. And weight comes from unconfessed sin. Unconfessed sin adds weight to the fuselage of your life. It adds weight to you mentally. It adds weight to you physically. It adds weight to you spiritually. It weighs you down. It adds weight to you, you emotionally. It weighs you down so that your life, like a plane, it tries to take off, but a plane that's overweight just shoots right off the end of the runway, guys. It doesn't get altitude. It doesn't go on the journey. It crashes at the end of the runway. Many of us are crashing at the end of the runway. Attempt over attempt over attempt because we have unconfessed sin in our life. We're all going to stumble. We are all going to fall. That's not the issue. The issue is some of us have come to a point where we think that there are sins that are just okay enough to not confess. That there are certain sins that they don't affect anybody else. So why do I need to confess them? There's sin in my life. And I look at others and I go, it's not as bad as them. Why do I need to confess it? When we feel justified to a point where we can hang on to sin and it doesn't need to be confessed to the Lord, it doesn't need to be brought to him, that's weight upon our lives. It's anti what God's called us to do. In fact, what God said to do with that weight is this. It's found in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Let us strip off every weight that holds us down, that keeps us grounded, especially the sin that so easily trips us up that causes us to crash. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. What do you do with the sin that's the weight holding you down? Strip it off. How do you do it? Confession. Repentance. Coming to a point where you go, man, this is getting me nowhere. It breaks God's law. God, I repent. I'm more than sorry. I am sorry for what it's doing to me, but man, I'm broken for what it's doing to you. Like, I'm breaking your heart. Like, I'm not even lining my life up with you. I've accepted some type of a social idea, you know. Um, a cultural idea as being normal, but it's anti your word. So I, I lay that down and I align myself with you, God. Remove the weight. Now something can happen. Lift can happen. Because lift comes from just the opposite, right? It comes from a Christ-centered life. A Christ-centered life is pretty simple to explain. It's one that lives the biblical principles of God. It's one who says, you know what, I'm never going to be perfect, but I'm going to strive to live every biblical principle of God. I'm going to pray. I'm going to worship. I'm going to be in worship with other believers. I'm going to give God the first 10% of, of what I make because 100% belongs to him. And if I honor him with the first 10, he will bless my life with the other 90. I'm going to, I'm going to honor God with my time as well. I'm going, to, I'm going to give God my resources. I'm going to give God the gifts of my life. I'm going to surrender everything I, I have back to him. 
But here, but please listen to this. That's not what creates lift. It's the obedience to Christ that allows Jesus to create lift that allows you to soar. Only Jesus can create lift. You don't create lift. What you do is like you're building the wings through obedience so that Jesus can blow the air over them that causes you to lift. It's only he that can lift you up. Here's what Psalms has to say about it in 146. It says that the Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. The Lord loves the godly. The Lord lifts up those who are weighed down. Weighed down from what? Weighed down from sin. So if, you, if you're here today and you're like, I don't know how Jesus feels about me. I mean, I'm a sinner man of all sinners. Like, if you knew my list of sin, you wouldn't even like me. Here's what I want you to know about God. God's not trying to hold you down. He's trying to lift you up. He's not trying to push you down. He's trying to lift you up. But here's what he's looking for from you. Are you willing to live a life godly? Because if you're willing to live a godly life, he's like, I, I want to lift you up. There's only two places in the Psalms where the word lift is used. Only two. And it's used almost identical in both places. Take a look at this next one in 145. It says that the Lord upholds all those who fall, who fall from sin. And he lifts up all who are bowed down. When we humble ourselves and repent, he has the opportunity to lift us up. Let me just tell you something. Jesus finds great joy in lifting you up. He finds incredible joy in lifting you up. These four principles, they apply to your personal life. And I want to look at a scripture that actually defines you, you personally, right now, right where you sit. It defines you as flying. You're going you're to love it. it defi- and it's actually God's heart for you. God's heart for you is that he wants you to soar. Here's what it says in Psalms or excuse me, Isaiah 40. says, have you never heard? Have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. He gives power to the weak and strength to the powerless. Even youth will become weak and tired, and young men, they will fall in exhaustion, but those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. Read this with me. They will soar high on wings like eagles. Soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk, and they will not faint. Did you see the four forces of flight? Did you see the four forces of the spiritual journey laid out in that scripture? Look look with me at the first one, thrust. He gives power to the weak. When we humble ourselves, like Psalms talked about, I'm not strong. You are, God. He can, he can give thrust through the Holy Spirit for you to live supernaturally for him, for you to overcome the sin that so easily entangles you. He wants to give power, but he's looking for those who will first say, I am weak. Did you see the dragon there? See the opposing force? It says in verse 30, that even youth will become weak and tired. Now that's not talking about youth in the sense of like, I'm young, like I'm 19 versus 69. Okay, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about about a spiritual maturity of youth. See, some of you could be 65 years old in here, but still be a youth in your spiritual maturity. It could be because you just started following Christ. 
Or it could be you've been around here for 20 years, but you're still spiritually immature. Some of you could be youth and be mature, and you don't think like a spiritual youth. But when we think like a spiritual youth, it creates drag on our lives. Why? Because spiritual youthfulness has a lot of soulish dependency built into it. We're soul dependent. We're self-absorbed. We, we focus a lot on self more than we focus on the king and his kingdom. So even youth will become weak and tired. So it's not about your age. It's about if we're not maturing spiritually, then, man, we will tend to depend more upon ourselves. And that causes us to be weak and to get tired. Did you see the weight in here, though? Because it came right after it. It said, here's what the weight is. Young men will fall in exhaustion. Spiritually, unconfessed sin, a life of sin will bring you to an ending point where you will collapse under the weight of that sin in exhaustion, trying to bear the weight of this world on your own instead of surrendering to Christ. And out of our own rebelliousness, our own stubbornness and our own pride, it will bring us to a point of severe exhaustion. What do we do? We confess sin to the Lord. But did you see the lift in there? That was probably the more obvious, wasn't it? Verse 31. But those who trust in the Lord will find what? New strength. In fact, here's what the new strength is. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They're going to run and not grow weary. And they're going to walk and they're not going to faint. So what does this mean for you and me? First means like, we got to put our trust in the thrust or the power of the Lord, like listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit more, following his intuitive instructions in our lives. We've got to trust that the Lord can lift us up above the strife and the trials and the troubles of this life. He can lift your heart up even in the middle of a storm of life and bring joy to you and bring peace to you. He can lift you up if we turn to him. He wants to do that. He wants to cause your life to soar on wings like eagles. He wants you to run and not grow weary. He wants you to walk in his name and not faint. Like he wants to give you that kind of authority, power and thrust and he wants to lift you up in that way. So here's my challenge to you. If you can run, then you run. Run and not grow weary. You run as long as you can run until, you until all you can do is walk. Walk may come later in life as you get older. It might come later in life as maybe health issues come into play, whatever it is, right? But when you can't run anymore, here's what the Bible says, keep walking. But here's something intriguing to know. It never says, when you can't walk, sit down. Like it never says that. It says you run until you can walk, and you keep walking because I'll give you strength that won't even cause you to faint. I'll let you walk for me all the way until your last breath, and that's good news. The bottom line to this whole thing is you were designed to fly. That's the bottom line. You were designed to soar on wings like eagles. You were designed to enjoy God in that capacity. You were designed to find pleasure in serving God in that way. You were designed to be involved in God's plan and soaring on wings like eagles that allows you to accomplish what seems to be impossible. But today, if you're grounded in life because of sin, and a self-led life, repent and confess your sins to God today. Let, let him start the engine for the first time or maybe renew that. Let him rebuild the spiritual engine of your life. 
today by surrendering yourself to him and calling him Lord and leader. For all of us in this room, man, we need to put our complete trust and seek after his power, his thrust, and his lift, Christ-centered living in our lives so that we can soar like we've never soared before. That's our goal today. Seek after him and say, God, I want to soar like I've never soared before. I want to go to altitudes with you like I have never been before. And guess what God's heart is? He wants to do it with you. He wants to take you on a journey like you've never been on before. And that's for believers. He wants you to really sense what it feels like. When I was in Alaska this past week, I looked out and I saw eagles all over the place. It was effortless for them to soar. They just caught the updrafts. They caught the lift that God created for them and they just soared. You know one of the things you never saw an eagle doing? Like struggling to flap its wings. You know what you think? I think you look around, you see a lot of Christians, and they're like trying to flap their wings to get everything done. God's going, no, I got a whole different idea. I want you to soar. I want you to soar on the winds I create for you. But you're going to have to humble yourself and start trusting me more than you ever have before. And I'll take you to altitudes like you have never seen. So why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for principles of science that all they do is back up your word. And, you know, vice versa, they they encourage us to see your word maybe differently than we ever have. And today, Lord, we saw your word and how you give us thrust, you give us power. We saw your word and how you want to give us lift that overcomes the weight of our sin and overcomes the drag of our humanity. Lord, today, may you let this church soar on wings like eagles today. May we sense your peace like we never have before. May we sense your joy like maybe we never have before. May we really truly run to you and say, let the power of the Holy Spirit work through me. I'm working my wings way too much. I'm trying to run down the runway to take off and do something incredible for you, God. And you're just going, you know what? Go back to the starting line. Seek after the power of the Holy Spirit. Seek after righteousness. And Lord, you will cause this church And every person hearing my voice to soar like an eagle, to soar like they've never soared before for you. And that means that we will accomplish things like we've never accomplished for you. And we will experience you in a way that maybe even after 30 years of following you, we've never experienced. So Lord, make yourself fresh. Make yourself new again in this church today. In Jesus' name, amen.